Welcome to the Perkins Platform. This is a monthly solutions-oriented talk radio show. Each month, we dedicate about 30 minutes to explore contemporary issues and solutions in education leadership, and this is your host, Brian Perkins. Uh, this month, we have a special guest from Hobart and William Smith Colleges in Geneva, New York, uh, Dr. Charlie Temple. Welcome, Charlie. Thank you very much. Great to be with you. Um, Charlie teaches courses in literacy education, children's literature, comparative education, and writing for children. Um, he's also the co-founder of the Open Society's Reading and Writing uh, for Critical Thinking Project. And so, um, Charlie, I, I am really happy to have you. A number of our guests, we have people who are superintendents and, and district-level leaders as well as principals uh, that listen in on a regular basis. Um, I'd like to just jump right in and uh, ask you um, to tell us a little bit about this uh, reading and writing for critical thinking project. Can uh, you tell us about that? Of course. Uh, 20 years ago, I have, have had and still have a very good friend who worked at the International Reading Association, which is now called the International Literacy Association. He was the international director of that, and he got an email from somebody in a small town in Romania. We never heard of the town before, but he asked if he'd, if they would send out a consultant or two to show people how to have open discussions because they had an interesting problem. They'd been a communist country for more than 50 years, and you know, schools in the communist world had been devoting themselves arduously to create the new Soviet man and woman, and now they realized that they weren't supposed to do that anymore. So they wanted to figure out how. How, literally, they want to know how do you teach democracy. Uh, I'm not a civics person. I'm not a social studies person. But they, they thought the way to do that would be just to have good discussions in classrooms, talk about books, talk about ideas, and have ways that students could talk about what was on their minds and listen to each other. So we went out. Um, flew into Budapest and drove across Hungary and got to this little town and met some people. And uh, the way I decided to do it was to teach a lot of demonstration lessons and as if they were children and say, tell them to choose what they like best. And at, at the end of a week, they, they had put together a pretty good package of strategies, They're just really teaching strategies that encourage conversations, that encourage critical thinking, original thought, and the rest of it. And it turned out that that little group was funded by uh, George Soros's Open Society Institute of the Soros Foundations. And so one day on our way back through New York, we stopped off in Mr. Soros's office and met his right-hand assistant who looked us in the eye and said, critical thinking is just exactly what we've been needing all these years. And she invited us, challenged us to start a project that summer. This is about December of 1996. Challenged us to start a project in nine countries, Russia, uh, Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, Romania, Macedonia, Albania, really all over the place. So we recruited friends of ours, um, just sort of middle career teachers and teacher trainers and that, and brought them all to Budapest, trained them, and then sent them out as, as 
and teams to go out and work with master teachers in former socialist countries, former communist countries. And the idea was really to use, again, just the kind of things that good teachers do in a classroom, good discussions, um, open-ended discussions, cooperative learning, uh, relating questions in the, in the textbook to what was going on in the community, having children bring their original concerns and that into the classroom. And it grew like, like a grass fire. I think the timing of it was perfect. They were, they were eager and it was, these ideas were new and novel. Um, they, the teachers loved what, what we were doing and we, we set up a strategy that, uh, Kind of a, a train the trainer cascade thing, but with with uh, with quality standards that the teachers themselves developed once they felt like they were they were doing what they wanted to do and they they knew they knew what a good job was and they wrote up their own standards and rubrics and then we had a system for making trainers out of them and at the end of the day well at the end of twenty years. Uh, we're now in 44 countries, I think the last count is. There's a, a vibrant organization based in Eastern Europe that runs this project, that coordinates the project, and they're everywhere. We're, we're in, the project is in all of Eastern Europe, all of Central Asia, now in Latin America, in Argentina, El Salvador, Ecuador. Wow. Uh, we're, we're in and out of Africa. Anyway, I could go on and on and on, but that's that's basically what it is. It's a training program, teacher training program for active learning and critical thinking. Well, you know, you you mentioned um, quite a few uh, approaches to critical what what teaching critical thinking encompasses, um, mm -hmm. and I've heard many people say that they they think that we need to teach students more critical thinking skills and and mm -hmm. so for me, at times it feels like people say critical thinking and it's a catch-all for when someone just isn't able to connect the dots in some circumstances so for mm -hmm. our audience what what do you teach that is that demonstrates uh that someone has critical thinking skills so what is it what and i well, and kind of putting it briefly what what does it look like when someone is exercising critical thinking? Sure, and, you know, as you as you know, there there are lots and lots of different definitions of this, and you know you get academic philosophy departments who are real rigorous about the logic of arguments and things like that. Mainly, what we tried to do was just try to teach as if there was no one right answer. That and and we don't teach everything that way, but we would try to raise controversial issues, uh, encourage students to say what they really thought, and then to, to support their reasons with evidence. We would often ask students to take views that were not what they believed in and see if they could come up with reasons that would support somebody else's way of thinking. And then we could, of course, we'd tell them, all right, now you can relax and say what you really think. And what we found, especially working in places that had had, had authoritarian societies where, you know, the societies were really top down, you had a communist boss that told you what to do, people found that really hard to do. Uh, in, in the blog that you, you mentioned before, uh, I told a story of being in Albania, and the way I would typically work, I would tell a story. I'm a storyteller. I teach storytelling as well. So I would tell a story that had kind of a kind of a moral dilemma in it, 
and would ask people to, to uh, an open-ended question. Like there's a story of a of a man who found a seal skin that turned out to be the the, the skin of a woman who was a half human and a half seal. You've heard these stories before. Sure. And he kept it, and then when she finally found it, she put it back on and she went away from him. And so I would ask a question like, you know, on balance, do you think this was a good thing we're talking about or a bad thing? Should this guy just never have taken that seal skin? And I would say, um, Think of all the reasons why you could you would justify his his taking it, and think of all the reasons why you think it was was not a good idea, was not was not not morally justifiable. And I had a group of group of guys who finished in about a minute, and I said, "Why are you finished so soon?" They said, "Well, we've got all the right answers. There are no there are no reasons on the other side." And you know, we, I worked with those guys for over a year, and and by by the end of the year, they were very versatile thinkers. They, I, I, I won't say that they were just, you know, were, were wishy-washy, but they could recognize several different approaches to an issue, and then choose one that they thought was most most reasonable and supported with reasons. That's that's really the kind of thing we like to do. We're just trying is not just to make people reasonable, but make people open to other other people's ideas, open to other ways of seeing things. And uh, good golly, in, in this political season we're in, where everybody seems to calcify themselves into one position or another, you can see how valuable that is. Sure. Well, you know, it, it, since you brought up, um, you know, this this uh, particular uh, political season, uh, there has been uh, a lot of criticism. Um, I know I've heard uh, being in schools of education, being around people in education, saying, you know, this is um, the this is our uh, should be put firmly blamed on the public education system. We have a group of people who are unable to think critically, won't think for themselves, or, you know, and on and on and on. And um, I'm sure you've probably heard some of that, too. Well, how do you respond to that? That is it that people are having a difficult time using what skills they have or is it that they just don't have them i mean what do you what do you think in terms of you know and not certainly not to place blame but uh is there a lack of emphasis in these skills or what what you know i i I, I don't blame teachers. I'm, I'm a teacher, and, and I love teachers, and I work in a program that prepares teachers. John Goodlad went around the country, what, 20 years ago, and he found, unfortunately, that what you're saying was true, that the majority of questions that teachers ask, ask their students were of a pretty low level. You know, give me back the answer that I just told you. Uh, Howard Gardner wrote a book not long ago, not well, it's been a while now, uh, called The School mind, where he went even into places like Harvard University and uh, asked students to answer questions that they had not been carefully prepared to answer. And what he said was that they answered like little children; that they they forgot all about their discipline, reason, and, and that when they had to deal with something original. And he made the point, and I think it's right that if we educate people without getting them to use what 
they know, apply it in the real world and solve real problems with it, then yes, they can learn it on some level, but they'll only just be able to regurgitate it on a test and they won't be able to incorporate it into their way of dealing, ways of dealing with the world. Um, I, I think that is that is a problem everywhere. Uh, and I've, I've often, I've, I've run into this a lot, of course, in, in Eastern Europe and Central Asia, but I've also run into it here. And the, the excuse that people would give you in Eastern Europe was that the curriculum was so jam full of things that all, all they had time to do was just jam it in, lecture, cover the material, cover the material, and there really wasn't time to think about it. And unfortunately, I find that true in the United States as well, that, you know, look at our social studies curriculum, which, you know, justifiably now covers the whole world and not just Europe, but it does that in the, in the same amount of time that we used to have just to, just to cover Europe. So uh, teachers are pushed to cover too much material, and I, I think they don't—they don't have time to let students really, really investigate it and think about it and apply it and uh, debate it. Yes, yes. So those of you who are just joining us, we have with us Dr. Charlie Temple, um, who's the Kinghorn Professor of Global Education at Hobart and William Smith Colleges in Geneva, New York, and we are talking about. Uh, critical thinking um, and um, re teaching reading and writing for critical thinking. Uh, just mentioned that uh, if if with the amount of demands that have been placed on teachers to cover a lot more material uh, in different ways, are there are there strategies though that people have have developed that help you cover? Um, not just go deep, but go broad as well, um, help you cover the amount of material you need to cover um, for critical thinking. Um, and, and, yeah, go ahead. Well, I was going to say that, that yes, there are, and they, there's nothing original with, with me and my group, certainly. I mean, we've, we've just, just uh, been eclectic and picked and chosen from the wonderful variety of things that, that other good educators have put out there. But, yeah, there are things like cooperative learning strategies, I mean, graphic organizers to help, help students organize and remember information. I, it, was, it was a lot of fun working with teachers in, in Eastern Europe. Europe and Central Asia, where they really do have an enormous pressure, much more than we do even, to get to jam in lots of material. And that was always their criterion. You know, what, what can I use that will help me cover the material quickly? And they would be delighted when sometimes they'd come in and a science teacher would say, I used a cooperative learning method and I used a kind of a graphic organizer to organize knowledge and it was actually faster. You know, they would say, I could teach the same concepts quicker. That, of course, that wasn't always true. If you wanted to have a, a lengthy discussion and to really get into a, an issue, that does take time. Thinking takes time. And, and 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 you have to allow for that. But then it really is a question of prioritizing. Um, I don't know what to make of the, I'm going to get political here, but when people say that there's a divide between college-educated people and non-college-educated people and those who who have, have gone after Donald Trump's beliefs, you know, who want to vote for that guy. And I'm, I'm a little surprised at that. I would hope that a high school education would be sufficient 
to let people to do some real examination and soul searching about, you know, what what are the best policies, what are, what are reasonable policies, political policies for the United States. Right, but you know, and and it is interesting you bring that up because some of it is what I, I'll go back to the the idea of making connections. Um, uh -huh. I have I have also encouraged my children to ask the second order or third order questions when faced with a problem, the whys, the hows, um, the the so what, you know, the, right. what does this mean um, right. ultimately, and what are the possibilities. Uh, I think about uh, often when when I think about my early childhood education, which was basically in classics, um, when we, I, I, I remember there was a little rhyme they gave us um, to kind of remember uh, some historical facts, and you probably heard mm -hmm. it. Columbus sailed the ocean blue in 1492, and mm -hmm. we learned that over. Well, and, and I don't mean we learned the rhyme, but we. So it started out first as the rhyme, and then then you had to repeat facts over and over again about. The Columbus and the and what the name of the ships were, you know, all and on and on, and and it really there was no real connection to <laughs> what was going on, and so what was a more dynamic and interesting story came along much later, through not through any formal education I had, but through books that I read later on. Um, that not just that he sailed in 1492 and there were some facts is that but what about the why questions that were so why did why was an Italian sailing under a Spanish flag and right. what were the the political geopolitical dynamics at that time what why you know what about and and not just history but there's also science involved there um, sure how how did they manage to land and why did they end up landing where they landed in uh in the west um so there right. are a whole lot of things that could have been covered where you talk about ocean currents talking about food supplies and you know what time of year they left there were all kinds of things that could have been woven into that that help you think about um the kind of the real challenge of doing what he did um that we we weren't exposed to and right, those right. kind of critical thinking exercises that i think would actually lead people to the kinds of questioning that that might be applied in something like a, a, a presidential election where yep, a yep. plus b equals c um, you know that that it's not just as someone tells you. It is there's there are facts that you have to look for, and there are, you know kind of indicators around that. Um, you know, I, I, it's it's there are a lot of kind of peripheral skills that students can learn that would be very that would be very helpful later in life. Right, right. No, and that's a wonderful example because if you take Columbus's journey, uh, I remember we taught a course on this one time. And they, there was a Greek astronomer who correctly calculated the circumference of the Earth as around twenty-five thousand miles, but somebody else had calculated it at seventeen thousand miles. No, sixteen. 
8,000 miles, and Columbus thought that was right. And he 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 loaded up his ships with enough food for to get him to, to what he thought was China. And if North America hadn't been there to stop him, he would have starved. And, but and, and to get into the navigation and the history and how he took Marco Polo's journal and estimated the length, the distance out to China and subtracted that from the Greeks' estimate, all that is utterly fascinating, and you can learn you can learn so much from that. It 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 would mean probably covering fewer topics, right? I mean, fewer periods in history, and using one of them in take, taking one of them and really, really, really drilling down, and that's certainly a way to go. I mean, you were talking about a mnemonic like a a rhyme, Columbus sailed the ocean blue. I'm thinking of my friend Karen Egan out in British Columbia who who wrote a book called Teaching is Storytelling. And he loves to tell stories that that are um, true stories that that encapsulate the kind of dynamics and tensions involved in in a, in a historical period or even a scientific issue, and use those as ways to sort of naturally get people passionate about the thing, and also to help them help them uh, understand it, remember it. I, I work a lot with storytellers. In fact, I just came from the Texas Storytellers Convention and was I was invited to keynote it. And what they wanted to talk about was how they're storytellers already. They wanted to hear about how you use stories because stories are great ways to get great ways to get ideas out and, and and issues out and get people passionate about them. But then, how do you use those for critical thinking? So what I was talking to them about was what do you do after the story? Can you have a discussion about an issue that was raised in the story? and guide people to debate politely about it. And I was doing a wonderful workshop where I had a woman from Mexico and people from tech, Anglo people from Texas and all these different cultures, and they were all talking about how well my, how my people would solve this problem. And somebody said, no, but my, my people would solve it a different way. And, you know, it is a kind of a multicultural synthesis of how you approach things. So, yeah, there are wonderful, wonderful strategies that, can be used here, but I think all of them, what, what I'm arguing for is that we do need to take the time and ask the right question. I love what you said about ask, asking the children to ask the second and third question, because that's, that's just right. That's just right. And, and to make those connections uh, between what we're talking about and how we live our lives and the choices that we should make in our lives, it's so we can make uh, school mean something, make, make education relevant to us. Sure, sure, and and I I am a strong believer also in the uh, importance and uh, the the real value in having storytelling skills, um, and, and and not just being able you know as the as the title might imply being able to tell a good story, but there is science to storytelling. Um, I right. one of my one of my colleagues uh, out in Connecticut actually started uh, a master's degree uh, program in uh, what they call writing in the oral tradition and oh. uh, called applied storytelling. And so these are somewhat, uh, uh, I should say, back when he started them were what they had framed as untraditional degrees, but that now they're really seen as emerging fields of inquiry, that they are <laughs> not just, um, you know, out there kind of degrees, but that there are, are real scientific skill sets that teachers can have, which leads me to 
kind of my next uh, question for you is, I know you said, so you teach, um, uh, you, you, you work with teachers and you, you've worked with adults and kind of train the trainer, and so you've worked with trainers. What does it look like for you to give teachers or trainers the skill set to help them you know, pull these skills out of others? What, what is it that yeah. you do exactly? What, what does that look like? Well, I'm, I'm just about to go over next week to Sierra Leone to do just that. I've, 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 you know, well, typically I've got a group. Uh, we're working with the, with, uh, we have a, have a grant from the Canadian government to work for five years, uh, have a group of 30 teachers for grades four, five, and six, and we're training them in a set of strategies that we've chosen that will promote uh, comprehension and critical thinking, and uh, we, we hope that we'll be reading comprehension and critical thinking, but the truth is the levels of literacy are so low that we we need to do a lot of reading and, and, and storytelling because the kids the, the kids have real difficulty processing print, you know what I mean? The word recognition skills themselves are, are, are in short supply, but they can they can think. They're smart kids. And so we, we deal with a lot of things like telling stories, uh, what are the questions you ask beforehand, what are the kind of inquiry strategies you do as you lay out the in, in, information, teaching people, teaching the students to be inquirers, teaching them strategies for inquiring and finding out. And then we'll have a whole other a series of questions and activities. What do you do after the material is out there to get people to debate it and inquire about it and apply it, uh, make up with their own version of it, connect it to their own lives, connect it to their villages? And then we have a whole repertoire of these things that we'll ask them to do. We'll demonstrate those in a workshop. We'll do micro-teaching, demonstration teaching. Then we'll get them to try it out and show them how try their hand at it and we'll, we'll be watching them carefully and seeing if we can give them some pointers. Then we'll have them try it out in their own classrooms because their classrooms are quite different from ours. Some of them have 150 kids in a, in a second grade or a third grade classroom and they've got to be the ones to figure out how they can apply some some methods that came from some some fellow from upstate New York, how to make that stuff work in a classroom in Sierra Leone. And then they'll come, they'll, we have people on the ground who'll go and check with them and work with them, and then they'll come back to the next workshop and they'll say, okay, this worked and that didn't work, and we tried this and we were able to uh, amend, uh, modify it in a certain way, then they'll bring works that their students did and the lesson plans and the rest of that. And then we'll work with them over the course of a year or so, and the ones who really are competent at it, who show that they really have got it, then we'll invite those people to become trainers of other folks, and we'll and then we'll train them to be uh, good demonstrators and good follower-uppers and you know, good good arrangers and supervisors and things of that sort. So that's pretty much how we do it. And and like like I say, one of the reasons I'm, I'm so happy about what happened with the reading and writing for critical thinking project was that it started out exactly the same way, and now it's a it's a huge organization that runs itself, and the people that we trained have trained other people and have trained other people and trained other people, and they're probably a quarter of a million teachers that they've trained, I mean, really extensively, too, like in 100 hours of contact probably spread over a year or so, sometimes sometimes more in those cases. But and this is over in, this is in Eastern Europe. 
this is everywhere. This is, uh, you know, we started in Eastern Europe, then we went on out. We are in Mongolia, we're in Russia, we're in uh, the stands, Kyrgyzstan, Kazakhstan, Tajikistan. Then we were invited into uh, Argentina, then we set up a distance learning course that goes up and down the, the cone of Argentina. Uh, we're in uh, Tanzania, Sierra Leone, Liberia, Kenya. Uh, we really are, we really are all over the place. I think the only place we're not doing it very actively so much is in the United States. I mean, that, I, that I write. My, that was my follow-up because you know, the, again, going back to what I mentioned earlier with the criticism that people have. I I mean, it of of what's going on in in some of our public schools uh, and the lack thereof of of kind of a scientific but deliberate approach, as you right. are describing, more so. So it doesn't mean that it isn't happening, but it's, you know, kind of hit or miss. There are teachers, some teachers that have gone to workshops, other teachers that, you know, just they kind of naturally good at it and they've done it, uh, but no real deliberate approach to critical thinking. And, and I, I mean, I really like the way yours is framed to talk about reading and writing for critical thinking, um, that it's it's really deliberate what you're trying to get at here. Well, thank you. Yep, that's it. And of course, I've written. I, I write a lot of textbooks for the for the teaching field, especially in the literacy field, and I always have chapters that works all this in. We do have a, a book. I think they still have it at Amazon that was actually published for Eastern Europe, but they made an English version called The Thinking Classroom. Uh, and, and that's available there. But, you know, you're right. People tell us all the time, gee, you should come back to the States and do these things here. And I, I, I just don't, uh, well, I, as I say, I put it in my writing, but when I have time to go out and do workshops, I end up being recruited to go over to Africa or South America or someplace. Sure. Well, Charlie, this has been great. I really appreciate you coming and talking with us. Um, to the listeners, again, this is Charlie Temple from Hobart and William Smith Colleges in Geneva, New York, um, doing a lot of great work all over the globe uh, with Open Society Institute's reading for reading and writing for critical thinking project. And so, again, uh, Charlie, thanks so much. We we certainly have to stay in touch because I have quite a few uh, projects uh, internationally, and I I was just saying to one of my colleagues that this would be really interesting to do and um, to connect you with some of my colleagues in Brazil. So thanks again for joining us. Um, and to listeners, join us next month again. Um, and until next time, go well, stay well.